So we're in uh, week seven on our series on the Holy Spirit. Did you all enjoy uh, Beth sharing last week? I thought she did an awesome, awesome job. So, it always messes up my notes, though, because I keep a running week after week. Week one is attached all the way up to week seven except in the middle, I've got a little bold, underlined notation, week six, Beth Keck. No notes, just a reference to Beth. So you messed up my notes. <laughs> but good job, though. It's good. <laughs> so I had to go back a couple of weeks ago uh, when talking about the work of the Holy Spirit as the life giver. Um, we visited some of his original interaction with man in the Garden of Eden. I want to take a moment to revisit those scriptures today as a point of connection with the Holy Spirit as the river of God. In the Genesis account, it's Genesis 2, 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. I want to quote what I, what I reference there. The tree of life was there. Here's a wonderful picture of the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit, the life giver planted in the midst of God's ordained dwelling place for man. And here's the thing. Adam could eat from the tree of life freely. But there was more, a river, a river that flowed out of Eden to water the garden of God. Here's the perfect picture, the perfect environment, the perfected church feeding freely from the tree of life drinking deeply from the river of his presence and allowing that to flow freely out from us. Adam had to be opened up to the reality of the outflow working of the Holy Spirit in order to be fully formed into the image of God. The river of God has been a popular and effective as a metaphor throughout the biblical ages in conveying the never-ending life flow and life-giving impact of the Spirit of God on things and areas that are often considered irredeemably dead. For instance, Ezekiel 47, beginning in verse 1. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by way of the north gate and led me around on the outside of the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. 
going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand. The man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water. It was ankle deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through for the water had risen. It was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live. And there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Engedi to Englalem. It will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea, but its swamps and marshes will become fresh. They are to be left for the salt. And on the banks and on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will, be, will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. The area that he's talking about is the Dead Sea. And down by the Dead Sea, uh, there are areas like in Gedi, where David hid from Saul. Uh, and just, as you're looking at En Gedi, just to the left of En Gedi, there's a wadi called the Wadi Argut. And uh, years ago, uh, I went up into the Wadi Argut hiking. And uh, it goes quite deep, and the walls are about 1,500 feet on either side. And, I mean, you can find dinosaur tracks embedded in petrified mud. And, I mean, it's really, really ancient. I, I think John Lamper, when I took him there, he found a uh, petrified um, sea star, right? I mean, that's how ancient this place is. It's really, really cool. And uh, so I had been up in there about five hours, and a uh, park ranger uh, located me, and he says, oh, I've been looking for you all morning. I says, why? What's up? He says, uh, it's raining in Jerusalem. I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I'm a three-hour drive from Jerusalem, you know. I said, so? What's that mean? He said, well, when it rains in Jerusalem, all the water comes down this wadi to go to the Dead Sea. I said, awesome. I want to see that. He says, if you see it, it's the last thing you'll see. <laughs> because... It takes trees, boulders, anything in its way. This, when it comes, he says, it'll, it'll wipe out the highway. 
And, and you see it every year. New patches of highway had been replaced where the wadis have flooded, and it just takes it out. And um, so, you know, I, I, I left, the, left that area and, and went on my way. And I was thinking about that during the week, and I thought, all the water that comes down from Jerusalem gets to the Dead Sea from this wadi. This is Ezekiel. This is the pathway of the river of life. And so every time I go there, any team that's with me, I mean, we've, we've gone there, right? Uh, it's awesome. So I want to take you for a little hike up the Wadi Agut. I want to show you what it looks like, first of all. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, yeah this is in the, I mean, 10 feet out from this and nothing grows on either side. I mean, it's just this swath. And uh, the, the water that you're seeing just comes out of a rock. <laughs> you know, it's just, what would you expect, right? <laughs> so next, next slide. Uh, here we are. We're, we're about ankle deep in, in the river of life. Just kind of tool. See the water coming out of the rock? That isn't even the source. It just happens all along. It goes back in there about eight miles in before you get to the source, but it's really not the source. It's just the river up above has gone underground. And this river doesn't reach the Dead Sea in and of itself unless it's raging. It just comes to this point, and all of a sudden it goes underground, and it's gone okay, because God's purposes are not complete yet. So, so next slide. So here, here we are, uh, a little more waist deep. There are places where you can get a little deeper in the river. Uh, next slide. Okay, my men's trip. And, and next one. And you can really let the river overwhelm you if you'd like. But if you stay too long in the river, next slide. That's what you end up looking. <laughs> uh, I'd say keep it up there, but we'd never get through the morning. <laughs> uh, <no>. Anyways. <laughs> well, I'll just have to not turn around. <laughs> uh. So does anyone know what the central and most important river was in Israel during Jesus' time? Hmm? Say it loud, Sarah. The Jordan. Very good. Yes, but why? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> because it was the great dividing line for the Israelites. They came to the Jordan River and left behind their slavery in Egypt to become the nation Israel, the people of God. They left behind the discipline of the wilderness wanderings and entered into the promises of God, and they left behind the failures of their forefathers and entered into, the, into a generation to become a generation of conquerors. But watch how it plays out as they come to the river of God for their lives. Okay. Might I add here that 
But Jesus said, many are called, but few are chosen. And if you are called and chosen, then there will be a river of God that you will in some way, at some point in your life, encounter where God is going to have to move in power for you to get to the other side. I can remember years ago, Erskine Holt told me, he says, Dick, you know, things were going awesome. He said, don't get all caught up in this good time, he said. <laughs> he says, wonderful when God moves. He says, but there's going to come a time of crisis. There's always going to come a time where you get stretched, where you have to lose all the dependence on all the support you've built and only end up depending on God, and it's the only way you can make it any further. We always come to the river of God. Joshua 3, starting in verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priest to bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in a heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped into the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathon. And those flowing down toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. In other words, the priests step into the river with the ark, and it's a parting of the river, just like the parting of the Red Sea. The waters flowing down just build up like a heap, a wall of water standing there. The rest of it just flows on to the Dead Sea. So everything from the wall of water all the way down to the Dead Sea, and, and that's about a 10-mile hike, was dry land so that the Israelites, four to six million people, could cross the Jordan River up against Jericho. Okay. So the river opened up, parted for the presence and purposes of God among his people, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. This becomes highly significant for us, and not just because Jericho became the first city taken by Israel 
or that Rahab found salvation in the Jews and became part of the genealogical line leading to Jesus, or that the walls came tumbling down at the sound of the trumpets and the shouting of the people and gave us one of the more popular Sunday school stories to date. Jericho is set like a geographic marker for the purposes of God moving by his spirit in the land of promise. Jericho, although marked by God as a place of death and destruction, continually is used by him as a launching point for the moving of his Holy Spirit in demonstrations of power through miraculous signs and wonders, as we saw with Joshua. Here are a couple of historical markers. The first one takes place 700 years after Joshua crosses the Jordan River. It's recorded in 2 Kings 2. Now the Lord was about to take Elijah, Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elisha said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. and Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water. And the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Wow. (laughs) Smart guy. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, Behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Did you catch that? He didn't go up in a chariot of fire. The chariot of fire separated them. It was the whirlwind that took him. 
And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now make no mistake that Elijah, in the first instance, knew that by the parting of the Jordan, he was assured that he was about to enter into the kingdom of God and all that God had promised him. His striking the water with his own cloak was his personal participation in God's revealed will for his life. God doesn't want to do stuff to you. He wants to do stuff with you. He wants you actively involved with his purposes for your life. Daddy. (laughs) It's at this point that he surrenders his mantle to another. In the second instance where Elisha strikes the Jordan and parts the waters, is it, an, it is an acceptance of the call. He sheds his own covering and puts on the new garment provided by means of the wind and the fire from heaven. And he crosses over into the purposes of God for his life. And I don't know if you've ever followed the storyline. Elisha did twice as many miracles as Elijah did precisely. The last one he did, he did after he was dead and decayed. When someone was killed on the road, his body fell into the grave of Elisha, and his dead body touched the bones of the prophet, and he came back to life. (laughs) And that miracle made it exactly a double portion. God faithful? Even when we're sitting around dead. (laughs) Even these old dry bones, right? (laughs) The second marker takes place 700 years after the first marker, somewhere around 30 A.D. If you were to go down to Jericho from Jerusalem today, you had passed through the Judean desert, what's called the Arabah, the smallest desert in the world, and arrive in the wilderness that follows the path of the Jordan River to the Dead Sea, the lowest dry land surface on the planet. And if you cross the Jordan River at this point into what is today Jordan, the nation of Jordan, you would be standing where Joshua crossed the people of Israel into the promised land opposite Jericho. You would also be at the place where Elijah was taken up into heaven in a whirlwind. But you would also be at another significant place, uncovered by a Jordanian archaeologist in 1995. 
the baptismal site of John the Baptist, marked by an ancient Byzantine monastery complex. It's at the exact same place. Matthew 3, 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers! <laughs> this isn't that seeker-friendly type church he's got going there. <laughs> we ought to try that some Sunday. Get the greeters, you know, as peop new people come in. You brood of vipers. <laughs> I love it. Uh, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say of yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, just like Elijah. His winnowing, winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire, just like Jericho. The fire at Jericho was so hot, it literally melted stone. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist, called and ordained of God from birth as the forerunner of the coming Savior of the world. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Get ready, he's coming. Abandoned all for the sake of his call, homeless, eating bugs and wild honey, skinning camels to make his clothes, totally obsessed with his message. A wild man for God. The first time we crossed into 
Israel from Jordan. We had a youth team with us, and uh, it was actually the Palestinians who had brought us in, and they provided a, a bus to pick us up on the uh, at Jericho at the crossing there. And uh, we came out of the processing center, and we're walking across the parking lot, and this guy comes out of this small bus, and he, he waves, he waves, it was Muhammad. And I said, are you waiting for the team from Amman? He says, yes, yes. He said, I knew it was you. I saw you, and I thought, now here comes a wild man for God. <laughs> so I got that label that day. It was really awesome. Oh. <laughs> Hmm. And suddenly, all that he is about is standing right in front of him. Behold, the Lamb of God. You want me to do what? Baptize you? You should be baptizing me. No, John, remember, we have things to fulfill, righteousness to activate in the earth. Do it, John. Do it. Now, see if you can grasp the magnitude of this moment for John. Just imagine yourself in that place. He takes in his hands the one he has waited for all his life. He is entrusted with the life of the bringer of life to plunge him beneath the waters of the Jordan in a representation of the death that Jesus is facing. He wraps his arms around the one who in a short time will stretch out his arms on a cross to redeem the whole world. And John, at the place where Israel entered, where Elijah departed, thrust the Messiah into the Jordan, and the kingdom of God breaks in. The Jordan doesn't part this time. Oh, no. Heaven itself tears open and a new river begins to flow. The Holy Spirit begins to pour out on Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me too. And Jesus sets off. And the Father is so delighted he can't contain himself. <laughs> this is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Get him, Jesus. <laughs> two rivers, two courses, both used by God. In one, you can part the waters of adversity and walk on dry ground, be sure of your footing, and even emerge on the other side, empowered to do God's bidding. The other river will not part. It will only ever get deeper. Its current will take you like the wind sometimes to places you wouldn't in and of yourself ever go. There is no sure footing here in the fake, and in fact, most of the time, there is no footing at all. There is only thy will be done. But here is the power and the promise of that river. Everything will live where the river goes. Everything will live where the river goes. This is the river Jesus chose. 
Next week, we'll see how he stayed in the flow of that river and taught his disciples how to swim in the flow of the Holy Spirit, the river of God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, flow. We invite you to come and move, O God, like fire, like whirlwind, like a river. Lord, a a river that rages and reaches its goal, O God, to bring life wherever it goes. Open us up today, O God, so that we might be a point of outflow for the glorious river of your presence, O God, given on the day of Pentecost to the church, just as it was given to Jesus at the Jordan. Holy Spirit, move in your people. Lord, some of us want to go deep today. There are some, O God, who would love to ride the current. Lord, feet never touching the ground. Lord, just swept away in your purpose. There are others, O God, who like the security of feeling the bottom under their feet. Irregardless, O God, we want to come to the river today. We want the river to come to us. Move amongst us, O God. Touch our lives. Touch our hearts, O God. Quench our thirst and bring us to the purposes of God. But most of all, give us life. In any area that is dead, from heaven's point of view, enliven us, O God, in that area. Holy Spirit, we bless you today. Jesus' name.